this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers hands-on technology support and forward-thinking solutions. With managed IT integration, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what's most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Support for this podcast comes from HomeBank, providing mobile app and account notification technology to help customers detect fraudulent activity, because security is knowing. Find more tips to bank securely at home24bank.com. HomeBank, member FDIC. We're proud to welcome our newest sponsor, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital. Physician-owned, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital offers expertly trained doctors and staff that are actively involved in all aspects of patient care. Their reputation for excellence in patient comfort, safety, and overall treatment is reflected in an average patient satisfaction rating of 98% or higher. For more information, visit lafayettesurgical.com. Our guest today is Dr. Malcolm Stubbs, an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in sports medicine and performs arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder, elbow, hip, and knee, shoulder reconstruction and replacement, and hip and knee replacement. Dr. Stubbs is a graduate of LSU School of Medicine, where he served as chief resident in orthopedic surgery. After completing a fellowship at the Mississippi Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center, he served as a staff orthopedic surgeon in the U.S. Air Force. Today, he practices at the Lafayette Bone and Joint Clinic. We're here to discuss the Rosa Robotic Hip Surgery Procedure that Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital has recently added. Dr. Stubbs, welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you, Jan. I really appreciate meeting with you and talking with you today. Yeah, this is a um, <clears throat> excuse me a beautiful facility. I've, as we were talking before we started taping, I hadn't been in this complex. I didn't realize how big it was and how much is offered here. So have you been with this group for a while? Is this a long-term um, partnership? Yes, I joined Lafayette Bone & Joint Clinic in 2008. Okay. So you graduated back in 93 from med school. I'd like to hear about your journey, especially the Air Force. I mean, this is fascinating. You've had quite a, um, a colorful and meaningful career. Yes, it's not the usual path, that's for sure. Um, I graduated medical school in 1993, uh, of course, LSU mm-hmm. Medical School in New Orleans. Uh, I stayed there in New Orleans for my residency at the LSU Department of Orthopedics. Uh, that residency program was five years. After five years, <laughs> after five years of residency training, I then applied for and was accepted for a postgraduate fellowship at the Mississippi Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, that fellowship was a one-year program that heavily specialized in arthroscopic surgery of primarily the shoulder and knee. Um, we had two staff surgeons that did um, tons of shoulder work, mm-hmm. and then the other two focused on knee problems. So I got a vast experience yeah. in arthroscopic surgery and sports medicine at that facility. How did you end up with the Air Force? <clears throat> so I became uh, uh, interested in an Air Force scholarship to help pay for medical school. 
So they offered a health profession scholarship program that I applied for Mm -hmm. and was accepted into in my second year of medical school. So it's a program that they they have to um, subsidize your education. I just... I just didn't want to have the student debt mm-hmm. that we often hear about these days. Um, I just didn't want to have that hanging over my head. So I thought it would be a good, a good option for me to uh, to get that taken care of. You know, when I was driving over here, I don't know why that came into my mind. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't even know how many years. I didn't count just now how many years you were in school, but I wondered if the student debt that young doctors had then is anywhere near what they would have now. But this really helped you. I'm start, sure start off on the right foot. Oh, absolutely! I'm sure it's massive and probably worse um, this day and age. But by the time you add up undergraduate, medical school, mm-hmm. I'm sure that the numbers can become astronomical. Yeah. So, I just thought this would be a good way for me to uh, mm-hmm. to help defray some of that. So, did you always know like orthopedics was for you? Did you figure that out early? Pretty much. I think once <laughs> I started medical school. I quickly gravitated to the surgical specialties. And the other thing was I was always involved in sports and and things like that in high school and Mm -hmm. and intramurals in college. So I sort of gravitated to the the care of athletic injuries and teams and and sports injuries. So I think that was a kind of a natural fit for me. So arthroscopic surgery, I know we're gonna talk about the Rosa hip um, process procedure, but was that pretty new when you were getting out of med school? So yes, when I was in medical school and um, even in residency to some degree, um, the, the knee arthroscopic procedures had, had started to become fairly commonplace and established, but arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder was at its infancy stages. So I became incredibly interested in that aspect of arthroscopic mm-hmm. surgery. Um, throughout my career, that's grown and evolved over time. Um, and then now it's even gone on to involve the hip, the elbow. Mm-hmm. Almost every joint of the body can be treated in some way or another with an arthroscopic procedure. I remember being grateful. I had arthroscopic surgery on my left knee in the early 2000s. I just tore my knee up. And uh, after having had a previous surgery where it was a full rip you open, I was so grateful because while it hurt, the the recovery time and the scarring, it just was like a new world. So you've really, you, you came in at the right time for what medicine's doing now. Oh, yes. The move to minimally invasive procedures, I think in, to a large degree, was uh, sort of kicked off by arthroscopic surgery and the techniques developed by the, mm-hmm. by the early pioneers, actually. Yeah. So. yeah. so how have things changed now with the addition of what you call robotic assisted surgeries. I don't really understand this. I read about it getting prepared, but this seems like so much artificial intelligence in a wonderful way, like a tool for you to have to hone your skills, you know, even finer. Right. Well, just as just as technology has grown and expanded in all other industries, it's also grown in medicine mm-hmm. and specifically in orthopedics. Um, Surgeons started developing, along with um, engineers, robotic uh, devices and computer programs actually back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, It's only become commonplace, though, probably within the last decade because the early early models were not not as efficient, not as easy to use. Um, But over the last decade, it's exploded 
dramatically. So what, what happens when a physician uses this robotic surgery before we get into the details? Like what, what exactly does the robot do for you? So I guess the best way to, do, to describe it is the robot is a very sophisticated additional tool that we're able to use now to help um, to help do right now hip and knee replacements. The robot itself um, and the robotic arm, I guess you can say, that's attached to the, the machine helps us, helps guide us to make very, very accurate and precise cuts that we have to use to cut the bone mm-hmm. during the procedures of joint replacement. So it's just a much more accurate way for us to accomplish this uh, more than just our experience and more than just feel, I guess you could say. And it's been shown to be very effective in helping reduce uh, any type of um, misalignment. It also helps get a very tight fit according to the patient's individual anatomy. Mm -hmm. Um, We're hoping that those measures um, are going to improve long-term longevity of the prosthesis and outcomes for the patient. It just hasn't been around long enough to know if that's going to be the case. But we know, mm-hmm. based on basically radiographic studies and alignment studies so far, it seems to be much improved. There's also some studies that suggest it's reducing patient pain and also reducing hospital stays after this type of surgery. Well, I'm going to let you talk about, like, for us to paint a picture um, of how hip, let's just start with the hip, you know, the Rosa hip replacement. The old way, and still, I guess, the current way, many hip surgeries are done versus using this. If you can kind of tell us, because when I read it, it sounded like a typical hip replacement. There's a incision along the side of the hip, the posterior, and this is from the front. So if you can talk about how hip, sur- hip surgeries have been done and how this is different and why it would be better for a patient. So several years ago... Um a lot of surgeons started transitioning to what's called the direct anterior approach. As you just mentioned, it used to be performed from the side incision or sometimes even from the back, from the posterior incision. This anterior approach was developed to accomplish a number of goals, the most significant of which is that it's a tissue and muscle sparing approach. So we don't have to go through a particular group of muscles called the abductor muscles, which are the primary muscles that operate around our hip joint. That makes us move, huh? Right. So if we don't have to violate that particular group of muscles, patients can walk faster with less pain Mm -hmm. after having this type of surgery. So as we transitioned to the direct anterior technique, and we started doing that several years ago, sort of at the same time, here comes robotic-assisted surgery. Mm -hmm. So the surgeons and engineers that developed the robotic techniques implemented the use of the robot with the direct anterior approach. So the robot uh, arm helps us do the total hip replacement through the direct anterior approach. So making a better approach even better, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And it's a smaller incision when you do it like this? Generally, we're able to do it through a little bit smaller incision. Now, of course, that varies from patient to patient. Right. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not anything that's necessarily predictable because it also it's a lot of factors involved. But in general, I mm-hmm. would say that's, that's usually true. 
So do the patients have to do anything special? Like, you know, I guess they're just ready for relief. By the time you see them, people must have really been struggling with, what do I do? I'm in pain, you know? Yes, usually, I mean, by the time uh, we discuss having a knee replacement surgery and a patient's ready to go that route, in in almost all cases, we've tried everything else. Mm -hmm. We've tried medicine. We've tried activity modification, (laughs) yoga, you know, weight loss. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've tried injections usually, braces, physical therapy. So once those things have failed, that's when we start talking about this as an option. Mm -hmm. Um, But the amazing thing to me is that I know a lot of people are apprehensive about considering it, but most of the people that have it always tell me, Doc, I wish I would have had it sooner. Really? <laughs> yes. It it's... seems scary to me, just anytime you have major surgery. But again, this seems so minimally invasive. You know, I've always had hip issues, so this fascinates me. But is this typically an older person or? Not necessarily. I guess people fall and get injured. and So typically, you know. I think that's true. However, I do have to say that it seems that more and more uh, patients on the younger spectrum are starting to need this kind of surgery. And I don't know if it's just because we're more willing to perform this techniques on younger patients because mm-hmm. the, prosthes- the prostheses are better, um, or if it's actually a function of just an increase in arthritic conditions in younger patients. Well, I mean, we're doing it exercise. in we're doing it quite often these days in in fifty year old patients mm-hmm. in their in their fifties decade and even occasionally in the forties if it's necessary. Yeah. It seems like sports has evolved too where people used to just do a lot of everything and now they hyper focus on one you know, if they're especially if they're talented, so I can see it. You know, didn't Trump say you only have so many steps or heartbeats? Like, so, that's kind of true with a joint. Too. Yeah, I, I think so. My grand, my great grandmother, I remember her. Um, me, mom, she broke her hip, and this was way back in the day in the '60s. But I remember just laying by her bed with her, listening to um, LSU football. But she couldn't walk once she broke her hip. You know, and, and times have really changed. Yes, we're much more aggressive in treating these conditions nowadays yeah. because we know that we know that the ability to move around and be active is a much more healthy situation for a person mm-hmm. than you wow. know than being immobile, laying around, not being active. Um, that's when other bad things can happen. And you decline cognitively. Cognitively like as everything. well. That's, that's exactly right. Right. So I may be asking too many questions, but I'm curious: what do you put in the? Um, what is the implant like? How, how do you take out whatever's left and then put in? Like, what is it? How big is the device, the hip that goes in? So the hip joint is basically, if you think of it, it's a ball and socket joint. So it's the end of the femur bone. The, the ball of the femur is round. Um, and the cup or the socket accepts that, that, uh, that ball. Okay. So what we do when we replace a hip, we replace the ball with an artificial ball. With the with the mm-hmm. techniques we had these days, it's either metal or ceramic, and the cup is a metal cup that's attached to the pelvis, and within that metal cup, we put a polyethylene liner, so a bearing, so to speak, f- for the ball to roll around in and articulate with. Um, these these substances are completely inert, so the body accepts them 
without any problem. No rejection. I mean, only there's a very rare for a person that might have a metal allergy to quote unquote reject it. Of course, with any surgery, you can have complications like an infection, and we do have to deal with those on occasion. But by and large, the body accepts these implants without any any problem, without any abnormality. And this is the same for the knee. I know you do a similar knee replacement surgery. Correct. The, the, the materials are essentially the same. Um, we replace the, the ends of the joint, so that the end of the femur bone and the mm-hmm. top of the shin bone, the tibia, we replace those with metal coverings. And then we put a polyethylene bearing in between those so that they can articulate. The bionic man. <laughs> How long, do these last? Are, are they expected to last for the lifetime of a, a patient? So we know that they do wear out after a certain number of years. Now, the several factors can go into whether or not they wear out sooner than later. Mm-hmm. The, in the laboratory, these materials that we're using these days usually last over 20 years. But again, in, in, the, in the human condition, mm-hmm. there may be other factors that make it wear out faster. Um, but our, our uh, scientists continue to work on these materials, coming up with better and better options. Um, so I think today's devices uh, are much better than 20, 30 years ago. So I know you're here at Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, and you guys brought this into our area. Um, it seems important to me that we have options like this in Acadiana, you know, so we don't have to travel. This seems to me like something you would think you'd have to travel to Houston or, or New Orleans or something to get. I mean, did you did you think it was important to bring this into our area? Absolutely. Um, you know, Lafayette's grown so much in the last several years, and the medical uh, industry and field in particular has grown along with it. In fact, I think it's become the second leading um, field behind oil and gas is the medical hub that's been developed here in Lafayette. We're probably, I would venture to say, we're the you may be third or fourth now. largest um, city in the state, of course, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, behind New Orleans, Shreveport, and maybe Baton Rouge. So we, we draw patients from all over the area. So to be able to provide these up-to-date and latest and greatest technologies for our patients in this area mm-hmm. so they don't have to drive so far. Right. For medical treatment, I think it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us. Well, doctor, I, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Gary Wagner. He, he teaches economics, and he's like our Acadiana economist. But actually, healthcare is probably now the number one employer in our region. We are really a hub for outstanding things like this. So that to bring in, yeah, I know. It, it, I mean, it kind of surprised me, but not really. Oil and gas, not so much right. in the top anymore, but right. we really are the hub. And it just seems that as we're all aging in place, you know, people want to stay here and to have these procedures so then you don't have to travel for follow-up visits, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a big deal. That's right. definitely... So you're offering this, though, at the um, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital. This is a physician-owned hospital, and I didn't realize that. If you can talk about that... So Lafayette Surgical Hospital uh, came to being in the um, mid-2000s. Uh, it was the vision of uh, the founder of this clinic, Dr. John Cobb, oh, yeah. and several yeah. of his colleagues um, wanted to basically have a place to take care of their patients uh, where they were able to direct patient care from 
from one end to the other. Um, in this particular situation that we have, uh, the physicians are the ones who are able to, you know, find out problems from our staff with the team effort that we have. We can address them on an almost immediate basis on some occasions. Um, it just makes it a much nicer situation for the patients, the staff, the physicians um, to be able to do that and really focus on patient care without, you know, some of the big hospitals, they do a great job, but they have such a big system to get things done sometimes takes a lot more time. And uh, I think we're able to bypass some of that and, mm-hmm. and really do a good job. So you can customize your team approach if you find that maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. You yes. can shift We can pretty shift quickly. quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. I just met one of your team, Dr. Hodges, that does pain management, and he, he just seems so happy. <laughs> he said he just likes working with you guys because it's just more of a, um, a team approach, as you said. And I think if you're happy and your staff is happy, your patients are going to get the care that they need and deserve. Yes, exactly. We um, we really strive to, um, I guess you can say, it may be kind of cliche, but we really want our patients to feel like they're at home when they're in our hospital because it takes away a level of anxiety and stress that could compromise yeah. their outcome. And, mm-hmm. and I think if we can alleviate some of that, uh, they'll be better off in the long run. Is it mainly orthopedic, the surgeries that are done here at the surgical hospital? So it's primarily spine and orthopedic. So we have several neurosurgeons on staff, several orthopedic surgeons on staff. Then after that, we have a few uh, ENT physicians. Um, What else do we have right now? We have some urology, ophthalmology. So it's a multi-specialty, but it's it's very heavy in orthopedic and spine. So local doctors around town in the area will just partner with you and bring their patients here? Yes, we have about, um, I want to say currently we have 34 physician owners. Um, but you don't have to be an owner to come do cases. So we have a lot of other physicians in town who have privileges, and they'll often bring their patients here. Um, patients will request it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an insurance issue. Um, but our our patient satisfaction um, has been excellent. We've right. we've received several awards. I mean, they really they really uh, they really like coming to our place. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up spinal um, techniques. I know that the surgical hospital has brought in other types of advances, <clears throat> and I don't really know what all this is, but I looked them up. Inspire Wave Rider. Miros IO, and I know some of those were related to spinal conditions. Well, the Miros is definitely okay. a, a spine <laughs> procedure. This was all new I to me. I think that was brought um, brought in by Dr. Cormier, Dr. Jason Cormier, who's one of our excellent, outstanding neurosurgeons there. And he uh, found out about this technology, brought it to the hospital. We thought it was a an absolute uh, home run type of procedure that we can offer the patients. Mm-hmm. As far as I've heard, I think he's he's getting some great results with it. The Inspire procedure is a procedure that Dr. Foreman introduced us to at the hospital, and it's a procedure uh, primarily to address sleep apnea. Oh. So it's an ENT procedure. So it's an actual, they, they go in and I guess clean up. Uh, I don't want to talk about the details <laughs> because that's not my field of specialty, but um, from what I've heard, just his anecdotal experience, 
um, over there at the hospital has been very, very mm -hmm. successful. That'd be nice not to have to use that CPAP, I'm sure. That's the patients. idea. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it just sounds like you guys are trying to bring in cutting edge things. And like I said, I, I wasn't familiar with all this, especially the Rosa hip replacement, but I just have to tell you, knowing in life, like most of us are going to wear out parts at some point. It's really cool to know that you're here. So are, are there other things on the horizon or, um, you know? I don't know of anything in particular at the moment, although I would say that there are some um, investigations right now into bringing this robotic technology into shoulder surgery. Um, but that's a little bit farther away mm -hmm. on the horizon currently. Um, I know our neurosurgeons are constantly evolving and, and finding new procedures um, along with our orthospine surgeons for spinal procedures. We have an excellent um, pain management group of physicians that mm -hmm. do interventional pain at Lafayette Surgical as well um, from all sorts of uh, injection procedures, um, minimally invasive SI joint fusions, um, pain pump insertions, um, just you name it. Yeah. If it's out there, it's it's being looked at. Well, Dr. Malcolm Stubbs, I want to thank you so much for taking time to do this. I know you're busy. I mean, you were fitting me in between your busy schedule, and uh, I just want to thank you for being here in Lafayette. I meant to ask you, were you originally from here? No, I grew up near Baton Rouge, a small town called Pride, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew some stubs here, and I wondered if you guys were related. But, Not that um, I know of. I'm glad you decided to move to Lafayette and stay here. Well, so thank you. Thank, thank you for you. taking time today. Oh, absolutely. And um, I'd like to um, thank our listeners for being so supportive. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go to discoverlafayette.net, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And we couldn't do this without our sponsors. I'd like to thank Home Bank for being a loyal sponsor. And of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, thank you for listening. This is Jan Swift.